How do you lead others and remain resilient through times of unprecedented change? How do you manage others and avoid burnout through extreme circumstances like those we've seen during the pandemic? Those are just some of the questions that we've been asking ourselves for the last two years. How do you continue to lead others when the previous leadership roadmap no longer applies and we face new normal ways of operating and doing business? Todd Bolsinger is the co-owner and principal of AE Sloan Leadership, an executive coaching and consulting firm that works with churches, nonprofits, and marketplace leaders. Todd will share some unique resources to help you create resilient leadership skills that are necessary to adapt to our rapidly changing world. The event is taking place on February 9th with our friends at the University of Wisconsin Parkside. Cost is $29 in person, $19 virtual. Those attending in person will get a free copy of Todd's book. Please register at the show notes below. Thank you. The true definition of leadership is all about leading others. It's different than what we thought it was for years. We thought it was high power, high status, and really it is about this responsibility we have to build others, to empower others, to give credit to others. And when we do that, that's the best type of leadership. Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast brought to you by CCB Technology. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and this is the podcast where we believe, all of us believe, that nobody drifts into excellence. And that's why we're doing this. So join me as I work to figure this leadership thing out on purpose. So we had our showcase recently, and um, being selfish, I wanted to get and sit down with these keynote speakers because they were phenomenal. So the next two episodes... You're going to hear my conversation with Christy Wright, one of our keynote speakers, and this woman is fantastic. What you hear through the microphone is who she is on stage, is who I experienced backstage. So this was actually recorded backstage at our tech showcase in the green room. So um, she knew some of the questions I was going to throw at her, but she didn't expect me to record for an hour. So we're going to break this into two episodes uh, I want you to be able to digest it. So this first part, she's going to work through a definition. I ask her, how do you define leadership? So as a Ramsey personality, as somebody that has 80,000 followers on uh, Instagram, as somebody that's been doing this for several years, that's also a mom and a wife and trying to be excellent in all these areas, what is leadership then? The second thing I'm going to give you a heads up on before we get into it is around seven, eight, nine minutes-ish in I asked Christy about the imposter syndrome. Help me define that, what it is, what it isn't, things like that. So uh, what is leadership and what is the imposter syndrome? And then we just went off from there. And of course, I was sarcastic and she was great with it and she rolled. So pay attention. You're going to love this. At the end, I'll give a takeaway and an action item. But it, more than that, you're going to enjoy her. So here it is, my interview, part one with Christy Wright of Ramsey Solutions. I'm here with Christy Wright. I am a huge fan. Any of you that are out there that are listening that have listened for more than probably seven minutes, you've heard me talk about the influence that Entree Leadership has had on CCB and myself in particular. So the podcast um, and one of the personalities that's part of the Ramsey family is here sitting across from me. Heard her speak last year at the Entree Leadership Summit down in San Antonio. 
So Christy Wright, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of our tech showcase and even more so sitting back in the green room and doing this podcast with me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about it. I love meeting people that are in small business that are all about helping the marketplace and you guys are doing that. We're a fan of what you do. So thanks for having me. So good. So very good. So uh, please give a rundown, a little background, wherever you want to take it. This is very conversational, but for the folks listening in that aren't familiar with you or, or, or what you do, Fill in some of those gaps for them. Sure. Well, as you said, I'm a Ramsey personality. Most people probably don't know what that is, but it's really our succession plan as an organization. So Dave Ramsey has built his company for almost 30 years, helping people get out of debt. And so he started to think about the future. What's going to happen after he retires and when he wants to you know, play golf and go to the lake all day. Mm-hmm. And then at yeah. some point beyond his life, thinking, what are we going to do to help the world, to help the marketplace? But also we have 800 team members right now that have um, jobs, you know? And so he started to just really think of a a succession plan. And part of that plan was a board that will lead our organization because he was kind of the main leader. And then also on the customer facing side of things to have Ramsey personality. So me, Chris Hogan, Anthony O'Neill, Rachel Cruz, Ken Coleman, we all have messages that we take to different markets. And we have, so that's additional speakers, it's additional authors, it's additional thought leaders, message bearers. Um, so I'm here, for example, sharing a message on leadership and Dave is doing whatever he's doing. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, but yeah, we're able yeah. to help more people. And so my specific message the last few years has been helping women start small businesses because what we're seeing in our culture right now is it's easier than ever before to start a business. You could start a business tomorrow with nothing more than an idea and a Facebook page. The risk is low. The cost is low. The barrier to entry into the marketplace is low. And and you really see millions of people coming into this space. But then what happens is they get overwhelmed. They're like, well, mm-hmm. well, what about taxes? Well, what about trademarks? Well, how do I sell without being pushy? And how do I you know beat out the competition when I, when I don't know what that even looks like? And so my background is in business. I have a business degree. I was raised by a single mom that started a small business when I was six months old to raise and support me. So I was raised literally in her cake shop sure. uh, as a child and then became a certified business coach. So you start to see this pattern like, hey, this is something I can really help these women with. And I speak at entree leadership events um, on the leadership side, which is much more team focused. Mm -hmm. And then I speak at women's events and my own business boutique events and have a book and podcast and all that. And that's more focused on your solopreneur. I would say about 75% of the women I help don't have team members. So um, we're all helping in business just from different angles to different markets. It's fantastic. So your reach is very, very wide from my perspective. Yeah. Very wide. Um, My Instagram game is very weak. (laughs) (laughs) It just is. It's so weak. Um, I did follow. I am following you on yeah. Instagram. I see that you have a, you have, a, you have tens of thousands of people yeah. that are looking to you uh, for these some of these advice and right. guidance and right. leadership. So if we back up just a little bit and zoom out just a little bit, how how then do you view leadership and and maybe a f- somewhat of a functional definition of leadership since. You could be a solopreneur. You could be reporting to someone without yeah. a team. You could have a team of 800 people. Yeah. So f- from your experience and, and your uh, viewpoint, yeah. how do you define leadership? Well, it's interesting. I think that, and I think a lot of people probably are starting to take this perspective, um, people kind of on the front lines of Simon Sinek that's coming out you know, with some great teaching on leadership, starting with why leaders eat last, that type of thing. Yep. But I think for years, for decades, leadership was this glorious thing. It was this high power, high status, 
suit in the corner office, that's what a leader was. And what we're learning is the true definition of leadership is all about leading others. It's not about the power you have, but it's about how much you empower others. So if at the end of my life, no one actually knows my name, but millions of people are stronger and better and more leaders because of my influence in some way, then that is the most effective way to lead. And so um, when you look at our culture and kind of what's counterintuitive almost. So here are some things that leaders do that are not glorious. Um, they do eat last. They do serve. They do lift others. They're quick to give credit to their team members, not take credit for themselves. They make really hard decisions and say the hard thing that no one else will say, that everyone else is scared to say. They're humble. The willingness to receive feedback from people and hear that criticism and learn and grow and um, identify blind spots. So I think it's, it's different than what we thought it was for years. We thought it was high power, high status. And really it is about this responsibility we have to build others, to empower others, to give credit to others. Um, and when we do that, that's the best type of leadership, really. That's fantastic. So that it is uh, encouraging to me as well, because frankly, I can't stand uh, wearing a suit and a tie. <laughs> I feel out of place. Right. <laughs> I feel out of place. With it. But but even just that that imagery of not having it all together. Yeah but having the capacity to ask good questions right. and learn, but you have to have that humility thing. Right. So uh, Jack, who spoke earlier this morning, he's, you know, technology futurist. Right. Um, Which just the title. Let's start with that. Like, that yeah. sounds scary. Well, so one of my first questions to him was... I'm like, so you're a futurist. I didn't even know that existed. That's what I said. So backstage, I said, all right, man, I'm going to ask you this on the podcast. I hope it's okay. I don't know what that is. Right. What's a technology futurist? I mean, I, you're so far advanced in the future. I don't even know what the title means. Yeah. Do I need like a DeLorean to catch up to? Right. Where the heck are you? So he broke it down really, really well. And it basically came down to this, this curiosity mm. and asking good questions about where we could go and where yeah. it is going and how that technology affects business. But one of the things that you said about humility ties to even this guy that's talking about the future of technology. He said humility is a key thing, being able to learn. So true story. Um, I didn't prep you on this. I, there's a blog that I stumbled across okay. on your website that was helpful for me. Okay. okay. And I'm not going to, this is not a curveball, I promise, but it was posted. If I wrote it, I hope I know it. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a pop quiz. Did I say no, that? No, 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 no. It's not a pop quiz. But I'm hoping that you can elaborate on it a little bit because it was helpful to me. And I actually told my wife about it last night. Uh, it was posted back in January of 2017. So if you're listening to this, I encourage you go to businessboutique.com. You can check their blog out. It's January of 2017 and it's titled, Don't Let Fear Stop You From Starting. Okay. The term imposter syndrome. Yeah. Okay, imposter syndrome is what led me to Reddit. That's okay. actually the click funnel that I got into. Interesting. So help us out. Um, I did read it, but I, help. I'm getting free advice right here. It's basically, so if you guys don't enjoy this, it's <laughs> listening in. This is for me. But help us out. What is imposter syndrome and how do we overcome fear in leadership if it's a necessary part of going forward, even though you're afraid? Yeah, I think one of the biggest misconceptions about fear is that it is a bad sign. So if I want to do something or I have an idea about a project or I have an opportunity in front of me and I'm scared, my natural response, me, my natural response is, well, then I shouldn't do it. Like this is a red flag. This is God telling me, no, this is the universe aligning to say this is a bad plan because if I was supposed to do it, I wouldn't be scared. That is a major myth because what's interesting is when you have something in front of you that is new, of course it's scary because it's new. It's unknown. Right. You've never done it before. Yeah. But what happens in this process of this voice of fear is we begin to think that we are the only one that feels that way. 
everyone else pursuing projects and taking on opportunities and taking on leadership roles and doing all these big things are doing it confidently. They're doing it fearlessly. They're doing it without an ounce of doubt. And it could not be further from the truth. What you're seeing is the most successful people do it while they're scared. They feel the fear and they do it anyway. They don't see fear as a bad sign. So one of the things that I like to remind people is fear is actually really normal. In fact, the term imposter syndrome was a term coined in the 70s and researchers identified this nagging feeling that people have of being found out. You feel like a fraud. You feel like you don't deserve to be there. The the signature line of the imposter syndrome is this. Who are you to do this? Who are you to start a business? Who are you to lead a team? Who are you to be president of your organization? Who do you think you are? That's the signature line. But if you live with this and you don't identify that this is actually really normal, in fact, it's a psychological term that has been around for decades, then what you start to to believe is that this is true Mm -hmm. and this is a bad sign and you shouldn't do the thing. And so what I love to do is just shine light on the fact that this is normal. It is very, very common. Researchers believe up to 70% of people suffer from the imposter syndrome. Ironically, it tends to be the high achievers, that are suffering from imposter syndrome. So someone sitting on their couch eating Cheetos all day, watching Netflix, are not really worried if they're good enough. It's the people on the front lines moving and shaking and making things happen that are worried, oh, the ring in their hands, I don't know if I belong. And so for me, it was just incredibly helpful to realize, yes, that fear is there. Yes, that voice is loud, but it doesn't mean that it's a bad sign I shouldn't do the thing. It's a normal part of the journey. And if you wait until you're not scared to do something, you'll never do it. So instead, I tell people, do it scared. The antidote to fear is action. Nothing will silence your fear of doing the thing. Like, doing the thing, so go do the thing. I am so encouraged by that because, uh, as I said before, and I've said on the podcast without Kirsty here, um, I've quoted Ken Coleman from you know the Entrepreneurship Podcast, and just let's just make it real. So starting this podcast, I'm like, I am not that guy. That's right. I am not Ken Coleman. Who no am one's going to like it. No, no one's going to listen. Who's going to listen to this? That's right. I don't have a book. It's not going to help anyone. I've never if they do it. listen, they're going to think, ah, that's so obvious. Yeah, I already know that. Duh. That's right. I'll just click oh, on the other link. We could go through the list. So that's me. That, 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 so that's, that's, right. that's why when I read that blog, I wanted to actually hear you say that's more right. because it, it's true. Yeah. It's true. But then take it a little bit further and help me and help us out. What do we need around us to keep going forward? That phrase, do it scared, mm-hmm. I read that on your website. I quoted it to Jack when we were talking about something else uh, in the podcast I recorded earlier today. So what do we need around us to keep going forward? Because that fear is going to come back That's the next right. time we take a risk. That's right. I think that the first step is just identifying that that is what that is. It's mm-hmm. the voice of fear. And you're like, oh, I've heard this before. Okay, thanks. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, another thing that can be really helpful is just taking these tiny baby steps. So maybe you have this big dream. Maybe you've got a big business venture. You're going into a big partnership, a big contract, a big client, fill in the blank. And it feels very big and big things feel very overwhelming and scary because they're big. But if you break it down to what is just the tiniest baby step, Mm -hmm. that's not that big. That's not that scary. And you're like, okay, I can't do this big thing right now. I can't get my head around that, but I can take this tiny baby step, which then that win gives you confidence and momentum to take the second baby step and the third baby step. And one day you look up and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it. I'm leading this organization. I'm leading this business and so on. So when you take the overwhelm out of it and break it down into just the smallest thing, 
it can really reduce the fear. And I tell people all the time, the impressive things in life always start as unimpressive things. That business idea that's now making a million dollars started as a Google search. Hey, are there any businesses like this out there? It starts as very unimpressive things. But I'll tell you, this is a silly analogy, but it really helped me have a visual for what it's like to do something new, to do something scary. So I was on the playground one day, and we were just talking about kids even mm -hmm. before we started recording. Yeah. I have two little boys, four and two, and a little girl on the way. And I was on the playground one day with my son, Carter. He's my oldest. And there was just one other mom there with her son. And he was maybe like six years old, a little bit older than Carter. And we're just sitting there playing. And her son goes over to the monkey bars. Now, monkey bars are high. Mm -hmm. They're taller than him. Sure. Yeah. And it's hard. Like monkey bars, if you're going to like go across arm over arm, take some physical strength, mm -hmm. some upper body strength. Well, this little kid, this wiry little boy, gets up there at the beginning. He hoists himself up to the first monkey bar, swings one arm to the next bar, one arm to the next bar, all the way to the end, gets this swinging start, and then jumps off, throws his arms in the air like an Olympian that has just won the gold as he stuck the landing. <laughs> now, his mom looks at him, and she says, wow, I didn't know you could do that. And he looks back and says, I didn't either. And I thought, that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. That's how you discover what you can do is you do it. See, I think so often we're standing at the front of the monkey bars going, someone proved to me I can do this. Someone show me the perfect path to success. Someone show me I won't fail. I won't fall. I won't embarrass myself. No one will reject me. When I see that proven perfect path, then I'll take the first step to the first monkey bar. That doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. You got to get on the monkey bars. You got to go for it. Do it scared. Try the thing. And at the end, you're like, oh, I did it. I'm leading a podcast and have done it for six months now. Yeah. That's helping tons of people. It's only in doing that you discover that you can do it, but you have to do it. And and for me, I just think that reminder is helpful because the moment you conquer your fear of one thing, the moment you push yourself outside your comfort zone and try something new and push the limits, that fear is back because it's new, right? Like I conquered my fear of speaking on stage, but then I went to write a book. Oh, but no one's going to like your book. No one's going to buy your book. No one's going to read your book, right? Mm -hmm. And so yep. it's a new, I love how Joyce Meyer says, new levels, new devils. Uh, so yeah, as sure. leaders, we are constantly pushing the envelope. We're constantly pushing the limits outside of our comfort zone, which is where all good things exist and growth and improvement and so on. But we have to get really comfortable with that experience of when I'm going to a new level, there's going to be new fears and I'm going to do it anyway. And just know that that's a normal part of the experience. So I am i don't know what I've got for the next two hours after we're done recording, but I might go work out <laughs> or I might go start a business. <laughs> Holy smokes. Okay. So if you're listening and this is the first time you're, you're getting a taste of what uh, Christy Wright is all about, there it is. So we're going to keep going though. We're going to keep going. I, gotta cover for, I have it for a couple more minutes. So we talked about the imposter syndrome. We talked about overcoming fear and leadership and then it's going to repeat and repeat and repeat. So for folks that are listening in who are in leadership roles, whether they own a business, I think there's principles, whether they own the business or they're in a, in quotes, management position right. and they want to add good, no, they want to add excellent team members right. to their team. I know some phrases that you have in entree leadership and things like that, but, yeah. but whether it's theory or practical, maybe touch sure. on both. How should they, what should they do? What should they be looking for? What should they be going after to hire great talent, have great talent on their teams? Okay, great. We could talk about this all day. I love talking about this because this is something that if you read business books, if you read business articles, you're going to get the expected typical advice on how to hire. And I would say that what we teach in Entree Leadership, what Dave Ramsey has practiced in our business that has proven to be incredibly successful is so basic. It's so common sense. It's so undervalued and so overlooked. So let's just talk about a few of those things. Number one, 
the two main qualities that Dave looks for, and this is not just true for hiring, um, by the way, it's true for delegating. So when can you delegate to someone? That's great. It's when they demonstrate these two qualities. When should you hire someone? It's when they demonstrate these two qualities. The first one is competency. They need to be able to do the job. They need to have the skills. They need to have the potential. They need to be able to perform the task you're hiring them to perform and bring in the ROI that you're hiring them to bring in. They need to be able to do the job, but that's not enough. And a lot of people stop there. A lot of people look at these impressive resumes and Ivy League schools and, oh, they're so smart. And, oh, do you know he worked for such and such company? And we get so enamored and starstruck with these outstanding candidates that we want them at any cost. And we completely neglect the second quality, which is integrity. And I'm not saying that these people don't have integrity, but we don't even check for it. We just think, oh, they're so impressive, so they're going to be great. But you can't just have someone that is highly skilled. You need someone that has the right character. So when we talk about integrity, what we're talking about, it's more than just honesty. It's not just that you can do the job. It's how you're going to do the job. It's that you're going to walk through the lobby and pick up a piece of trash because you have the integrity and the character to do the right thing, to Mm -hmm. act like you own the place, to take personal and emotional ownership over this place that you work, that you're going to come early and stay late because you care about the organization, not do the minimum, not cut corners, not, um, you know, halfway do it when no one's looking. And what we find is one of the biggest struggles in small businesses that I see when I speak at Entree Leadership and work with Entree Leaders is typically on a team, they'll have one or more team members that are so high performing and they are completely toxic to the team. Mm. They come late. They leave early. They complain when they're there. They halfway do things. But their numbers show up. But their numbers show up. And the, the owner is going, I can't get rid of them. They're bringing in 80% of our sales. Mm-hmm. It's like, you've got to get rid of them. You've got to make up those sales somewhere else because they are destroying your team culture. And they're, here, here's the real problem. When you have someone on your team that is either toxic or incompetent or you don't like them or they're just they're not working for the team and you are allowing it, Aside from the fact that they are a cancer to your organization, your culture, your team, you have now have built a business. You have started and built a business that you don't want to go to at the beginning of the day. Like we start businesses because we want to love this thing. Man. And you've hired someone that now has you held hostage as the business owner and you wake up and don't even want to go to your job that you created. We can't let that happen. And so competency and integrity, if, if someone has both of those things, they are able to do the job and they're able to do the job well and right with the right character and the right integrity, then that's the right type of hire you want to look at. It's also the right type of person that you can delegate to. Um, another thing to think through, especially if you're a really small business, and mm-hmm. I work with a lot of people that they're making their first hire, yeah. which is your scariest, or your second, which is your second scariest, is you need to like them. Like, yeah. I know this sounds silly, but like, you need to like them. That was a refreshing thing that Dave, that yes. Dave went through his talk last week at the yes. Leadership Summit. And like, duh. We overlook that, right? <laughs> but we, we don't, on our on our checklist, we, don't, we never evaluate it. No. We like them. It's like, do they have the skills? Yeah. Do they have a resume? Do they, do they check yeah. the boxes? The do they know? shiny. Yeah, They're do aware. they know the software or whatever the yeah. thing is? Yeah. And we don't like them. We have nothing in common with them. We don't enjoy them. Their voice is annoying. They get on our last nerve. Sure. And you're like, but they check the boxes. So you hire them. And then again, you go to work every day with someone you don't like. And it's like, it's your business. Now, this this is one of those things that I think as a leader, it feels almost wrong to say, oh, you know, I've just got to hire based on skills. But this is your business and you should build a culture and a team that you want to go to, that you're proud of and you're proud to work with. So some of these things of, you know, having integrity, I think we know that intellectually, but we don't practice it in the interview process. Um, and then also, do you like them? And then I would say the third, and we talk about this all the time, is take your time. 
because here's here's another major pain point for small business leaders. Um, we wait until we're desperate, and then by that point, we will take anyone with a pulse. Mm. We're like, oh, you're breathing, perfect. Can you start on Monday? <laughs> right. I have been there. I have been there right. when I worked in nonprofit. I was so desperate. I was like, you have a great English accent. Would you like to start this afternoon? <laughs> like, it's like <laughs> you'll probably get donations. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I'm like, you're you're just so desperate, and yeah. desperate decisions are always poor decisions. Rushed. Entire decisions are always poor decisions. Mm. Take your time, slow down your production, slow down your output, slow down something inside the business until you get the right person. Do not keep promising and trying to keep your production up when you don't have the team and resources because a bad hire will set you back tens of thousands of dollars and three to six months at a minimum where you're going to have to end up replacing them anyway and training someone new. Just do it right the first time. Take your time, spend multiple interviews with them in multiple settings over multiple weeks or months. And when you know they're the right person, then you can pull the trigger and make that higher and it will last in the long run. It will pay off in the long run. But gosh, we just make desperate decisions and desperate decisions are bad ones. So we've got to slow down and take our time. So the, the other thing that I, so you just said that don't make them, don't be desperate. Desperate decisions and tired decisions. Mm -hmm. Is that what you said? Right, right. So it's almost like going to the grocery store starving. Oh, okay. totally. And I've okay. done it. And well, I, I, $300 later, I'm like, <laughs> I don't even need these, you know, crackers or whatever. <laughs> so we make those decisions when we're desperate and when we're tired. So watch out for that because it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. But I want to just drag this out because you started with it and I want to I want to drag it out. It's your company. It's your business. It's your team. If you hire a bad person, you're compromising the thing that you stood for from the beginning. So not only is it going to cost you more money, in the long run, it's going to cost you also maybe what you stand for. Right. So that trajectory could be changed over the next right. 10 years by right. this hire. And now it's impossible because now they got great numbers. Now right. they're high producers. And now right. I'm hamstrung by the people that's sitting across me versus right. directing where well, the company's And going. business is personal. Like, I think there's just this myth out there that it's like, oh, it's not personal. It's just business. No, it is personal. Yeah. Like, it's you and people. And it's your heart, soul, mission, vision in this business. It absolutely is personal. Let's use another example. We hired, um, this was about two and a half years ago. We were looking for a nanny to take care of our boys. Childcare wasn't, was very expensive and not working out. And I was like, with me being on the road, I just need someone more flexible. So we started interviewing. Well, when you're hiring a nanny for your children, which I don't know, the most important job in the world, right? Sure. If you're the parent, like yeah, you're like, this absolutely. is the most important job in the world. Absolutely. So you're looking at it from the importance factor. You're also thinking they're going to be taking care of my whole life, my children. They're also going to be in my home every day, all day, every day. That immediately is personal. So I would never hire someone to be a nanny that I didn't like, mm -hmm. that I didn't want to be around. Yep. Because if I don't want to be around her, I don't want my kids around her. So you naturally have that kind of filter for something as personal as a nanny that's going to be in your home every day. Your business is your home. Your business is your home that's downtown, your home that's in a brick and mortar store. It's just a second home for you. It's just as personal for you as your physical home. You love this thing. This is your baby. Yeah, right. So treat it that way and protect it that way. You have the right to protect it so that it's something you love in a year, five years, 10 years, like you would that same aspect of hiring a nanny in your home. So it's like, we, we want to separate business. Like, oh, it's just business. It can be transactional. No, it's incredibly personal. So taking that same vein, saying that vein of, of personal, I'm really intrigued to hear from you. Who are some people that have had influence on you? Because you didn't start out where you are now. Oh my gosh, no. Right? I'm the product of a lot of, yeah. <laughs> so t tell me about those people because I, I'm intrigued not just in how people do what they do, I'm intrigued also by the why behind it, yep. the Simon Sinek thing, yep. but then the who, like, right. because I, if, if, if they don't know Christy Wright's name, 
but a million people are affected by it, as you said before, then who was it that set Christy right up mm -hmm. to get you here? Yeah. So um, I'll just go off the top of my head a few sure, people. Yeah. Um, obviously, Dave Ramsey. So I've worked there 10 years this September, and I came in as a youth project coordinator. There were no speakers, no personalities. We had 200 team members. I, I wasn't no hired idea. to do anything that I do. Oh, if you if you got time, that's a crazy story of how I became a speaker. But what Dave taught me was about leadership. And Dave and I, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, we're, the, we're both an eight. Mm -hmm. So like we kind of speak the same language. So we already are kind of cut from the same cloth. So I immediately gravitated towards his personality style of incredible passion, incredible hard work. But he taught me the why and the how of business. And, um, and that really changed my perspective on capitalism. It changed my perspective on small business leadership and hiring. I'll give you an example. Before I came to work for Dave, I worked in nonprofit for three years and I love nonprofit. Nonprofits do amazing work mm -hmm. in our country. Yep. They are not more holy than for-profit. I won't go on that, but it, it's a tax status. Yeah. But in my mind coming out of college, if I wanted to do work that mattered, I had to work for nonprofit. Because you couldn't do work that mattered in a for-profit company. Yeah, it's like a B team or something. That's like right. That. You're yeah. gonna do, you're gonna have your passion or a paycheck. You're gonna have purpose or a paycheck. You can't have both. And it was radically change, uh, transformational for me to go work for Dave and understand that I'm working in a for-profit company that pays their team members well, that charges a fair price in the marketplace, and that is a ministry that ministers to people. Like mm -hmm. I did not believe those things could coexist. I thought they were mutually exclusive. And so that was really transformational. And that's such a core message that I teach these women now because so many women come to me and they say, should I make my business a nonprofit? I want it to matter. I'm like, it's a tax status. <laughs> God is in your business because he is in you and you are in your business. Your business matters because you're taking care of people. I promise the NFL is a nonprofit. Like the IRS right, right, is not right. designating holiness here. So like uh, your business right. matters because you're taking care of people. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter how the money flows through the organization. Yeah. So uh, that's been really transformational. I would say another key person, and this really came in the fall of 2017, was Christine Kane. And all of the women that spoke on her Propel Women's Tour, so Lisa Turkhurst, Lisa Bevere, Beth Moore, Lisa Harper, all of these, I got to speak at six events that fall. So every weekend I spent with them. Dinners, all day at the event. And when you just put yourself around amazing people that are further along in their journey than you, whether it's your business journey, your faith journey, the parenting journey, the marriage journey, when you put yourself in their presence, you can't help but improve by just being around them. Sure. Just listening to the conversations. I truly got smarter just by sitting at dinner with these women. And these are unbelievable legends of the faith as Bible teachers, as yeah. strong women. And I mean, I how I grew in my faith, how I grew as a person, as a strong woman, just by being around them yeah. and becoming friends with them. Uh, I was actually just texting Christine Kane this morning because I'm going to be out in LA soon. I was like, hey, can we hang out? And she's like, yeah. You know, it's like now I'm friends with these yeah. people yeah. that have helps me become, and then I want to mentor younger women and, and people younger Pass than me. Along, so, right. um, so I think those two have been really, uh, transformational. And then I would say less famous names would be, um, there's a woman named Eve Serrett, who was my young life leader at a summer, summer camp, sophomore year of high school. And I've just stayed friends with her and she's been a mentor of mine and, um, invested in me. And, and so, you know, you can have famous people, you can have people down yeah. your street. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my mom certainly has been transformational and just the model of following in her footsteps of how, gosh, the, the qualities that my mom has are qualities that I value above all else. Like she's so persevering. She's so persistent. She's so optimistic. She's so humble. She's so quick to help others. Those are things that I just got by osmosis, you know, by just like yeah. being in the house and being yeah. led by her. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I think there's this 
again, myths. I think there's this myth that you can just be a self-made man or self-made woman. And none of us are. None of us are an island. I am a product of unbelievable people that have believed in me, invested in me. It doesn't matter if I'm the best speaker in the world. If Dave Ramsey didn't take a chance on me, no one would know it. Sure. I'd be in my mom's basement. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I'm standing on the shoulders of giants that took a chance on me. And so I think there's just a there. And then how can you not be humble when you know that? How yeah. can you not be humble when you realize right. it's all God's anyway? I'm yeah. just stewarding what he's given me. That's so, um, yeah, I'm definitely a product of all those people. So I told you, I told you, I told you she was going to be awesome. Uh, I'm going to give you my best attempt at just one takeaway and one action item. So first of all, the takeaway for me, putting a name to that thing that nags at me so often, the imposter syndrome. I am grateful for the conversation with Christy, but then also that definition, but then tying into it, the action item, surrounding myself with people that will, will remind me of the why when we're about to take a risk. Remind me of the why when that starts creeping into my head, that self-talk, that negative self-talk, and that I'm not alone. So that action item of surrounding myself with people or mechanisms to remind myself of the why, whether it's people or a post-it note or a screensaver or whatever, I'm grateful for that. So takeaway, imposter syndrome definition and all that. Action item, have something in place to remediate the imposter syndrome stuff. Now I'm going to tell you a short story. Uh, Christy Wright that this, this was take two. This interview that you heard, the first portion of it, that was take two. Uh, the reason that was take two was because something happened. An employee got that call that none of us want or a text message that none of us want. Uh, one of her family members was uh, on their deathbed. And this is, of course, we didn't know this was going to happen in real time. And I've been pumped about this interview. And a knock comes at the door and there stands my employee one of my employees in tears. I'm so sorry that I interrupted. No, 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 no. What's going on? I have to go. I got shaken up pretty bad. And I gave this employee a hug. They left. I go back in and I didn't expect it. And I started tearing up. And Christy, this monumental person says, you want to do this right now? You you know, you tell me, what do you need? Do you want to do this interview still right now? I'm here all day. We can do it later. I collected myself. I took a drink of water and all that kind of stuff. She gave me some several minutes to get put back together. And then she prayed with me for this employee. She is the person on the stage, backstage, in front of the microphone that you hear in this interview. And that's why I'm a believer in the stuff that she says. And that's the power of uh, knowing these people a little bit more and seeing, you know, when a situation comes up that you weren't expecting, then you see what they're all about. So I know that's more than you bargained for in this episode, but there you go. I'm a believer in Christy Wright. You should probably look her up. All right, so if you like iPads, maybe maybe you think this podcast is okay, but you really like iPads, I encourage you, go to ccbtechnology.com slash podcast and see about how you can win yourself an iPad. We've got a contest going on. It's gonna go on for several weeks. So if you've missed the last couple episodes and we've already launched it, don't waste any more time. Enter the contest now, ccbtechnology.com slash podcast. Get yourself entered there, because I'm gonna give it away to somebody. Maybe it's you, but go to ccbtechnology.com slash podcast for all the details and to find out how to enter. If you wanna engage with us, ccbtechnology.com as I said before or you can email us 
impactpodcast at ccbtechnology.com, at ccbsteve, if you want to look at my weak Instagram account, Steve Shear, if you want to check out LinkedIn, I got a little bit more of a handle there. And as always, from all of us here at CCB Technology, thank you for listening. I hope you join us for part two of Christy Wright's interview.